Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing or find us in your favorite podcast app. Good evening. We begin tonight with breaking news. More damaging testimony in the Ukraine affair. Another indication of how badly President Trump's personal attorney wanted to obtain dirt on the president's political rivals. The news follows two weeks of other testimony that, taken together, lays out the parts and pieces of what is a wide-ranging, sustained, intensive campaign to get a foreign government to do the president's personal political bidding in exchange for badly needed military assistance. And, of course, this comes at the end of a day of damage control after the president's own acting chief of staff conceded yesterday that, yes, there was a quid pro quo with Ukraine. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we do we do that all the time with foreign policy. I have news for everybody. Get over it. He put out a statement just hours later trying to say that he never said that or didn't mean that, which is a hard case to make when you put it in the context of two weeks of congressional testimony, documentary evidence on the question. Two Thursdays ago, two Thursdays ago, lawmakers released text messages among the key players outlining this aid for dirt deal, as well as one diplomat's sharp objection to what he recognized as a quid pro quo. He called it crazy. He's going to testify next week. This past Monday, former White House Russia advisor Fiona Hill told investigators that Rudy Giuliani was doing an end run around professional diplomats for the president and that then National Security Advisor John Bolton was so alarmed about it, he told her to alert White House lawyers. This followed testimony from uh, Mary Ivanovich, the fired ambassador to Ukraine, that, that uh, Maria should say, that she herself was cut out of the loop. And yesterday, one of the three people who bypassed her added to the picture, Ambassador Gordon Sundland, telling impeachment investigators that the president made Giuliani his point man on all of this, saying he didn't realize until later what he, departing Energy Secretary Rick Perry and Giuliani, were actually working on. Now, CNN has obtained exclusive new reporting on what else the president's TV lawyer and Ukraine fixture was up to. Kylie Atwood got the scoop, joins us now. What have you learned, Kylie? Yeah, so we are learning that in his testimony behind closed doors as part of this Ukraine impeachment inquiry just this week, a career State Department official, George Kent, told lawmakers that it was Rudy Giuliani who had pressed the White House and the State Department to try and get a visa for Viktor Shokin. Now, that is the ousted prosecutor general from Ukraine. He was ousted because he did not take on corruption in his country. And there was pressure from Vice, Vice President Biden at the time and other countries to get rid of him. Now, that visa, however, was not provided to Shokin. And so the White House actually made an appeal and went to the State Department, called up George Kent and asked, why is he not getting this visa? It was George Kent's understanding that Giuliani had called the White House and asked them to figure out why this visa wasn't coming through. Now, it's important here that Giuliani has told uh, CNN previously that he wanted to talk to Shokin because because Shokin had dirt for him 
on the Democrats. So we know he wanted to interview him in person. Clearly, he was not able to do so because that visa was not provided to him. But this provides some more insight into how Giuliani had his fingers all over this Ukrainian policy and really was able to push forth on some of his efforts to try and get people to the United States to dig up more dirt on the Democrats. So uh, this is, I mean, it's, this sounds nuts. I mean, so Giuliani is trying to get this guy, this uh, allegedly uh, or believed to be corrupt former prosecutor to come to the United States uh, to deliver more dirt on the Bidens or his conspiracy theories about whatever it may be. His visa is rejected by the State Department. So he calls the White House. Do we know I mean, did the president do we know if the president was involved in this whole thing or was this just a conversation between Giuliani and somebody else at the White House? We don't know the exact dynamics of how President Trump was involved in this situation specifically. But let's take a step back here, because what we do know from testimony this week, Ambassador Sondland told lawmakers that President Trump had told people working at the State Department, including Ambassador Sondland himself, that Giuliani was the key person that they had to go through when it came to Ukraine policy. So it's no secret that President Trump was speaking with Giuliani about Ukraine and Giuliani uh, declined to comment for our report tonight, uh, but I'm sure that we will learn more details about how President Trump was involved in this whole situation in the coming days, because there is more testimony to come from U.S. officials on this matter. What's the State Department saying? Well, the State Department doesn't comment on specific visas. They say that those are uh, confidential and they're not going to put out a statement specifically on this. But what we do have uh, to look back on is what the State Department says on visas generally. So they say that they are confidential, but they're rewarded in accordance with U.S. law and they can be denied for a number of reasons, including, and this is according to the State Department's website, if the information reviews falls within the scope of the inadmissibility or ineligibility grounds of the law. So clearly right now, uh, there was a reason that this visa was denied. The White House pushed back, but ultimately the State Department won out here. Kali hmm. Atwood, appreciate it. Thanks. Joining us now, someone who not only is running for to defeat President Trump next year, but will also be one of the Senate jurors if he is impeached. She also sits on the Senate Intelligence and Judiciary Committees. Kamala Harris, thanks for being on the broadcast. Appreciate it. Um, first of all, just what's of your course. reaction to this latest reporting about Giuliani trying to override the, the Ukraine embassy in the State Department to get a visa for this former yeah. prosecutor? Uh, it, Anderson, it's further evidence of, of corruption by this administration um, and, and the personal attorney of the president of the United States, um, clearly implicitly being given permission to act as though he is an arm of the of the government and the State Department. And it's a violation of an extraordinary number of rules and ethical laws about what, who should do what. And um, I'm just glad to see that the process is beginning to really um, do the investigation into Rudy Giuliani. He has clearly broken many laws. And, you know, I was listening to the report and as you were um, playing it, and it also raises for me questions about, you know, again, who knew what in the administration. As I've been thinking about it, clearly um, there, is, there are questions to be asked of, of the chief of staff. Um, we've talked about Mick Mulvaney, but I, I frankly think that we should also be asking questions of John Kelly and Reince Priebus, um, because clearly for a long time now we've been talking about bad behaviors coming from this administration and coming from the desk of the president of the United States. Are, are there specific laws you believe Giuliani has broken or may have broken? 
Well, I, I, I don't know. We're going to find out. But I, I don't. I think that the range includes not only um, abuse of power and, and perhaps a misstatement and mischaracterization of his role and his responsibilities, but I also really do wonder just instinctively whether there's been any bribery associated with Giuliani's conduct. I think there are a number of questions to be asked. And, and once the facts are, are, are transparent and have been available for Congress at the very beginning to see, I think we'll know what laws have been broken. What's so interesting about Giuliani's involvement, too, is that, I mean, it seems like with every you know, day that passes, there's another example of Giuliani kind of running and being lic- licensed by the president to run a shadow foreign policy, circumvent mm-hmm. State Department protocols. And it's not only for the president's benefit, but Giuliani also has business interests in the region. I mean, he's got business interests in Ukraine yeah, right. that go back years. He's got, you know, uh, business interests, I understand, in Turkey as well. Uh, so it's not clear exactly who he's working for. He's working for the president, but he's also working for himself. Well, you're right, Anderson, and this is part of this is part of the character of this administration as a whole. There are many people in Donald Trump's administration who I think are, you know, have questionable priorities and whether those priorities are, in fact, on behalf of, of the people of the United States or on behalf of their special interests based on former relationships in the private sector or what they anticipate and are pro- planning in terms of future relationships in the private sector. You're absolutely right. And that is why it, it is corrupt. Um, because this is, these are positions, especially for those who hold elected office and appointed office in this administration, these are positions that are held in the public trust. And they are, they are not meant to be or designed to be for personal interest. But Donald Trump and many of the members, I think, of his administration um, are not clear about that point, which is why we need this impeachment process to proceed. It's also that the president is holding this money uh, over Ukraine this is not his money. It is taxpayer money. American taxpayers have paid have exactly given right. this money. So when yeah. you when you think about it in that That's way, exactly right. he's holding American taxpayer money over the Ukrainian president's head. They need it to fight Russia. Lives are hanging in the balance. That's right. And he's getting he would get information that helps him against his main or at the time a political opponent in the upcoming election with American taxpayer dollars. So. American taxpayers are paying for dirt mm-hmm. on a person running for president. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. The, the, these are not Donald Trump's personal dollars. These are the, 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 these are the dollars of hardworking Americans who have been paying taxes to their government with an expectation that that money will be used to their benefit in their best interest, which includes the best interest of national security. But yet, Donald Trump is bartering and holding hostage American taxpayer dollars for the sake of his personal political benefit. And again, let's remember that this money was to be used to support a a, a partner in a democracy who has been trying to defend his country against an insurgence from Russia, which is a longstanding adversary of our country. And, and it is it not so the corruption is rampant in so many ways because it is not only about what might be for his personal benefit. It is also a misuse of public funds in a way that is um, is unethical and is frankly in violation of all that we would expect the president as commander in chief would do um, for the best interest of national security. It was so strange yesterday, uh, the Mulvaney press uh, catastrophe was, was strange on many different levels, but one of the things he insisted on was that the Bidens had nothing, dirt on Biden had nothing to do 
with what the president was seeking. It was all just this conspiracy theory about the server being in Ukraine and CrowdStrike. And that, yes, that was the quid pro quo uh, that he wanted information on. But I don't understand how, with a straight face, Mulvaney can claim that dirt on the Bidens had nothing to do with it when the president in the transcript not only says the Bidens, that's item number two on his ask after uh, the guy, you know, is asking for the aid, uh, but also just on the White House lawn, I think it was October 3rd, you know, when he was asked, he, uh, he was asked, what did you want the Ukrainian president to do after the call? And he said words to the effect of, I don't have the exact transcript. He said, you know, investigate the Bidens, do something on the Bidens. I mean, he he has said it multiple times. He's committing, he's committing, he is committing these acts that are violations of the law in the the open, in the plain sight of the American people. And I think there there are some who might be confused and might try to, to, to interpret, well, how could he possibly be committing a crime if it happens in public? There are plenty of crimes, let me tell you, as a former prosecutor, that happen in public. And the people who see it are called witnesses. And witnesses then come forward with evidence that proves that crime. And that's exactly what's going to happen in this case and what has been happening in this case. And it both relates to what Donald Trump has done. I mean, you know, Mick Mulvaney, people say, well, could he have possibly, he must have meant something else. How could he possibly have have told the truth about the fact that this was quid pro quo? That's called a confession. That also happens a lot in criminal cases. Uh-huh. So, you know, what we are seeing is what is, is frankly not atypical in a criminal proceeding and in criminal cases, which there are confessions. That's why we have that term and we use it often. Um, that's why there, we have the term witnesses, because often there are people who actually observe the crime as it is happening. And so this is what we're seeing with this case. I'm always fascinated uh, in courtrooms when a, a defendant or their attorney argues, well, no one would be so stupid as to do what my client is accused of the way he's being accused of it, when in fact, many people are that stupid to do things exactly as they are charged with. Uh, I'm sure you have seen that many times. Senator uh, Kamala Harris, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Okay, take care. All right, take care. Coming up next, new reporting on White House damage control after Mick Mulvaney's admission that there was, in fact, a quid pro quo. Later, one of the lawmakers raising concerns about the president's plan to hold next year's G7 summit at his Florida country club. A remarkable week in the Ukraine affair ends with CNN exclusive reporting on testimony detailing Rudy Giuliani's efforts to obtain a visa for a Ukrainian official promising dirt on the Bidens. In addition, it comes with the White House still in full-on damage control mode over Mick Mulvaney's quid pro quo admission, though he didn't use the words quid pro quo, and then his unadmission, if you will. CNN Shimakasa joins us now with more on that. So uh, talk about how the White House has been responding to all this. Well, Anderson, they were continuing to say that up was down, that black was white, that Mick Mulvaney did not commit a gaffe, even though they put out a statement uh, cleaning up what he said yesterday. Uh, Anderson, uh, I think when I tried to ask the president a question about this, it spoke volumes uh, when I asked him you know, whether or not uh, there was some sort of contingency for Ukraine to receive this money uh, for them to investigate the Democratic Party. Uh, he simply said uh, that Mulvaney clarified what he said yesterday, and then he moved on and talked about uh, many uh, and sundry things. Uh, but Anderson, the president, I think uh, very revealingly, uh, did not uh, once again reiterate that there was no question pro quo, and he really did not spend much time defending his chief of staff either. Um, uh, what, I mean, is his, is Mulvaney's future, I mean, now in question? 
I, I do think that's a real question, Anderson. I, we were talking to a number of sources today. I talked to a couple who have said uh, that Mulvaney has been on thin ice. He's been on shaky ground uh, for several months now. The president from time to time has sounded out the idea of whether or not he should keep uh, Mulvaney around. Uh, but I talked to one source close to the president uh, earlier this evening who said uh, there might be some difficulty in uh, giving uh, Mulvaney the boot because of what he knows uh, in terms of this Ukraine investigation. Uh, but Anderson, I, I, I will tell you one thing that we should point out. Mulvaney will be at Camp David this weekend, according to a White House official meeting with GOP lawmakers uh, on a range of issues. That is an indication that perhaps he's not in immediate jeopardy. But I wanted to just share a, a quote that I got from a source close to the White House, a Trump advisor earlier this evening, who was defending Mulvaney and saying, we all get turned into a pretzel defending Trump. That's the sad reality. Uh, Anderson, at the end of this very long and exhausting week uh, where things were turned upside down, uh, from a fact standpoint, sad indeed. Yeah. Anderson. Jim Costa, thanks very much. Um, okay. And not like there's any, pretzels taste good. I'm not sure that's a great analogy. We should note uh, even a few Republicans are having a tough time buying the White House line. Florida Congressman Francis Rooney telling reporters, quote, this isn't an etch-a-sketch. You can't go revise what you say in front of the cameras and say, oh, actually, I meant the opposite. Joining us now, CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin, New York Times White House Correspondent Maggie Haberman, and investigative reporter and author Carl Bernstein. He and Maggie are also CNN political analysts. There are many times I wish I could have reversed what I said on camera. It doesn't really work that way. Does, I mean, does the White House really expect anyone to believe that Mulvaney's reversal is really what he meant to say? I mean, it seems like he was saying what he really thought. In fact, was belligerent about it and told people to get over it. He also was asked the question several times, so it's hard to suggest that he didn't understand it. I don't know whether he meant to go that far. He certainly was not expected to go that far by people in the White House who knew he was going to talk about some of the Ukraine-related issues, but nobody expected that the sentence that would come out was some version of, yes, this was a a, a quid pro quo. Um, The White House, I think, knows that they have a problem with this. I think they are just trying to turn the page as fast as possible and tell all of us that, you know, he didn't really say what he said, tell us that the president is not angry, which I actually, just based on my I think the president's not as focused on this as people think that he is. Aids on the are, Mulvaney thing or on the Mulvaney, on the Mulvaney, on the Mulvaney oh, thing? Okay. Aides are, he's very focused right. on impeachment. But on the Mulvaney piece, aides are much more concerned about it. Uh, White House Counsel's Office is much more concerned about it. Jay Sekulow put out a pretty remarkable statement yesterday making clear that he didn't know about it. So they are trying to mop this up. But to your point, it's not like, you know, members of the House who were on the fence possibly about voting for impeachment are going to be swayed by, actually, I didn't mean to say that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right out out there. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, just in terms of Giuliani and the, the latest reporting by CNN that he tried to get a visa for this, uh, you know, a, allegedly corrupt former prosecutor who uh, he wanted to come to the United States and went to the White House. Is there anything wrong? I mean, illegal about that? Well, there's a lot we still don't know. And the most important thing we don't know is where the money was coming from for all of this. It's certainly who's not paying, illegal. I mean, who, who's who was Giuliani? paying Giuliani? I mean, it's not illegal for him to talk to lots of different people. Um, it, it remains mysterious, like what his ultimate responsibility was. Was he working just as the president's personal lawyer? Was he um, working for the U.S. government? Was he working for the two Ukrainians who were just arrested? The Washington Post. He's been in, in Ukraine for years with businesses with trying to there was a mayor who wanted to hire him for security in Kiev, and then he ended up getting hired by somebody else. Correct. And the question is, you know, was he a foreign agent for them? Should he have registered? I mean, I think legally the the potentially biggest problem for him is the Foreign Foreign Agents Registration Act, that if he didn't register as a lobbyist for the Ukraine. 
But you know, the, the, it, it, putting aside the, the technical legalities, it's just wildly inappropriate that he was doing all this at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things we've seen all through the, the hearings this week is that people in the government knew it was inappropriate and they were frustrated and angry, but he had Donald Trump's support, so they had to deal with it. Carl, is there any legitimate reason you can think of that Rudy Giuliani would want this guy, Victor Shokin, to come to the U.S. for besides political reasons? Uh, we certainly haven't seen it, perhaps uh, for business reasons. That's uh, that's possible. Because, because I mean, but all I of this was being need... sold as anti-corruption in Ukraine. Um, that's not really something he needs to be in the United States for. It's, you know, that would be in Ukraine. No, and we're going to find out uh, eventually why he wanted this this visa. But more important is the large question of, we're looking at a conspiracy led by the president of the United States and his personal lawyer to undermine our own electoral system in the United States through the intervention of a foreign power. Uh, that's, that is a high crime. That, and that's what we're looking at here. And that's what the, the impeachment thus far is, is about. And it's also occurring at exactly the same time that uh, the Ukrainian, the uh, pardon me, at the Syrian adventure by the Turks uh, with the president's support uh, is, is really telling on a lot of Republicans in the Congress of the United States yeah. who are starting to criticize the president in a way that they haven't before. Yeah, everyone stay with us because we've we got to take a quick break. A lot more to talk about, including, to Carl's point, Turkey's war against the Kurds and how some Republicans are more willing than others to blame President Trump by name. We'll be right back. The ceasefire President Trump said he negotiated, but which Turkey said wasn't one, may have ended. That's according to Kurdish fighters and witnesses who saw shelling and artillery fire in one border town today. This afternoon, the president once again insisted the Kurds are, quote, very happy with the way things are going, unquote. No evidence of that. But we do know who's not happy, and that's the members of his own party. This was Senator Mitt Romney on Thursday. What we have done to the Kurds will stand as a blood stain in the annals of American history. Was there no chance for diplomacy? Are we so weak and so inept diplomatically that Turkey forced the hand of the United States of America? Turkey? I believe that it's imperative that public hearings are held to answer these questions. And I hope the Senate is able to conduct those hearings next week. Romney's demand for accountability is far stronger than one made today by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. While he does call U.S. withdrawal a, quote, grave mistake in a new op-ed in The Washington Post, he never names President Trump one time which is a pretty nifty trick when you think about it. He does, however, lash out at former President Obama three times by name. Back with us is Jeff Tubin, Maggie Haberman, and Carl Bernstein. Maggie, does, do you have any explanation for the president's behavior on, on this? I mean, the idea of, I know there's the promise to, you know, to get troops out, um, but we're talking about you know, 50 to 100 U.S. Special Forces who are in that border region, which was preventing this invasion that the president has now said he knew was going to come because they've been watching the troops massing on the border for quite some time. And then he sends 2,000 troops to Saudi Arabia. So it's not as if there's a, 
big withdrawal of troops from the world there. No, and his argument in terms of the Saudi Arabia troops is that he claims that Saudi Arabia is paying for it, which actually makes our troops mercenaries in ways um, we are unused to seeing this. I mean, I think that a couple of things, Anderson. A, I think according to every source I have, the president has always been fairly pliant in his converse, phone conversations with Erdogan. Mm. Um, I, I think that was the case here as well. He got rolled by Erdogan. Pretty much, based on the descriptions that I've heard of this call. I also don't think he cares very much about well, that area of the world. Totally I mean, I think fair. that's very clear. And well, he I said th- it's nothing but sand. It's, you know, let him fight over it. And and I think that he he is, when you take away all of that language, um, I think you get to a policy, it's not really a policy, but an impulse that he has had on foreign foreign policy for a long time, which is essentially come home America and that, you know, voters do not favor these overseas engagements, that he believes that Obama uh, created a mess in Syria. And I think he feels like he's not going to perpetuate that. And he has some gut instinct that voters agree with him and that this is not going to hurt him personally. It's not at all talking about, is this the right thing to do from a humanitarian front? It's not talking about whether it's the right thing to do in terms of allies who have fought with the U.S., but it is, as he tends to see all things, how it will impact him, and he thinks it's not going to hurt him politically. Carl, what's so interesting to me about this is, you know, if you go back to uh, during the Mueller investigation, the one talking point that so many Republicans on this network and elsewhere would say in defense of the president and his tough in his self-professed toughness against Russia was that there were U.S. troops in Syria and that there was even an old, uh, a, a fight in which Russian-backed uh, forces were were killed by U.S. forces and that that shows the president's resolve and that he bombed you know an airfield. He's now given all the rest of the one third of Syria to uh, to the Assad regime uh, and to Russian-backed forces and Iranian-backed forces. And walked away, took us out of the picture completely, and opened this uh, piece of business in a terrible place uh, to slaughter. But more important, Senator Romney is on to something here. There is a record of what the president has done here, and it's in the phone calls or phone call with Erdogan, and it's also in whatever he and Putin have discussed about this matter. And just as we saw the readout of the conversations with the president of Ukraine, it is essential that the Congress of the United States have a look at the readout of these conversations in some kind of hearings uh, conducted by uh, the Intelligence Committee or another committee of the Senate. Because what we are finding is the president of the United States, once again, as General Mattis and others keep saying, and the generals and admirals uh, revolting against this president are saying, he is undermining this national security of the United States. And we have a roadmap to find out whether or not that's the case. And that's in those same uh, lockbox phone calls at the National Security Council. And the people who witnessed and heard and read the readouts of those phone calls, they need to come before the Senate of the United States, as Romney has suggested. Uh, Jeff, I mean, is there, I mean, just from a legal standpoint, there's no way whatever phone calls are out there, that they're just going to be given up. And we don't even know if, by the way, that the transcript that we have seen, the rough transcript of the readout of the the call with the the Ukrainian president, 
we don't know how accurate it is. We don't know. No. It's not a word for word as the president and, claimed and it was. One of the deeply weird things about how the, the whole Ukraine scandal has unfolded is that they have objected to disclosing basically any sorts of documents, any White House interviews, yet they have released the partial transcript of this phone call, which presidents almost never release. I mean, that is an area where I think no court would ever force them to disclose, you know, presidents, head of state to head of state phone calls. I mean, those are sort of the sacrosanct private foreign policy records of a president. So I don't think we're ever going to see the the Putin records, uh, the Erdogan records, but they chose to release the um, the, the Ukraine it phone call. It seems like they thought it actually was good for them. Clear, I, I, mean, I mean, it just shows when you listen to Donald Trump saying something is perfect, you better check it first. I think part of the issue with if that I phone call. Interject well, hold, 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 Maggie was talking. Hold on. In there. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I, just, I think part of the issue with that phone call is I think that there were early reports that they felt like they were trying to knock down, which was specifically how many times uh, Biden's name was right. mentioned and so forth. But it, it really didn't matter. If you look at the context of the of the call and the way in which Biden was mentioned, once was plenty. Right. Uh, we, we're at, we're out of time, so we're, we're going to have to continue this conversation another time. Carl, thank you, Jeff Tubin, uh, Maggie Haberman, President Trump, and his acting chief of staff say there's nothing wrong with hosting the G7 at the president's Florida golf resort in Doral. Up next, I'll talk with a member of the House Judiciary Committee on Democrats' plans to investigate. Well, as norm-breaking as it may seem uh, to be for President Trump to award himself and his Florida golf resort a no-bid contract to host next year's G7, it is also actually a pattern. He and the vice president both have gone out of their way to stay at his golf course in Ireland. The president has also stayed at his resorts in Scotland and Hawaii during overseas trips. Overnight stops by members of the Air Force have increased at his Scottish resort. Attorney General William Barr is reportedly planning a holiday bash at Trump's D.C. hotel. The Sauds booked hundreds of rooms there after the 2016 election. The president even plugged his own Charlottesville winery in 2017 while responding to the neo-Nazi violence that had occurred there three days earlier. Despite the pattern, however, his acting chief of staff says, nothing to see here. It is all on the up and up. We're going to do the 46th G7 summit um, on uh, June 10th through June 12th at the Trump National Doral uh, facility in Miami. Doral was by far and away far and away the best physical facility uh, for this meeting. Yeah, president doesn't even hide what he's trying to do here either. Listen to how he pitched his own resort in August. With Doral, we have a series of magnificent buildings. We call them bungalows. They each hold from 50 to 70 very luxurious rooms with magnificent views. We have incredible conference rooms, incredible restaurants. It's like, it's like such a natural. Each country can have their own villa or their own bungalow. Anyway, a source tells CNN that Doral wasn't even on the list of venues because of ethical concerns. Mulvaney yesterday said it was the president who suggested it. Surprise. Just before airtime, I spoke with Congressman Steve Cohen, who sits on the Judiciary Committee about what Democrats plan to do. Congressman Cohen, is this anything other than the president awarding a huge federal contract to himself? I mean, does anyone really believe that, you know, this resort, the Doral, was far and away the best physical facility for this meeting, as the White House says? I can't imagine uh, uh, travel and leisure choosing uh, this resort. 
Uh, and, you know, June in, in, in Miami is not exactly the a prime season. Uh, that's when they're making all kind of deals to come down here at 50% uh, off at, in Miami at that time of the year. This is self-dealing. This is uh, just uh, the, the utmost uh, grifting and arrogance to um, take as much money and prestige as he can from his job and extend it to himself and his family. And, you know, generally politicians are taught to avoid even the appearance of an impropriety. This just smacks of impropriety. Yeah, the appearance is so far off the charts, uh, this is mainlining it. It's also, I mean, it's free advertising for media from around the world, which covers these events. Um, you know, the, the whole notion that the president won't actually profit from this, that the Doral will do this at cost, if they won't release documentation showing how Doral was chosen, it's certainly hard to believe they're going to release documentation showing that they made no money off it. The president makes money off of everything. That's what the president lives for, is to make money and to see his name in big, big letters on buildings. Uh, he will make money on this. The occupancy rate is very low in, in early June, and he'll charge and make lots of money, and he'll charge the government for lots of other things. Today, I joined with Representative Lois Frankel and, and Representative Benny Thompson introducing the Thug Act, which is Trump heist at the G7. Uh, it, it would require the Trump administration to release all of the information on how they chose the Doral, who the other competitors were and what the rating system was and what they did, and also ban the United States government from spending any money at Doral for the G7. Uh, we hope we get a hearing and a, and a, and a vote in the House, and, and we hope the Senate comes to their senses. You know, if, if this were any other federal employee, I mean, they could be facing criminal charges, even prison, for trying to profit from their position. Those conflict of interest rules don't apply to the president because it was believed when they were written that they didn't need to apply to the president, that a president would be above doing something like this, and yet here we are. Yeah, I mean, you would. It would be uh, obviously self-dealing. And, you know, there's just so many places where you'd rather be in, in, in June and other facilities that could accommodate uh, this type of uh, event in a better way. But just, to, you know, the first thing you learn is even, I, I would think, as a, as a small-time alderman in a small town is to avoid the appearance of impropriety. This man has no shame, no shame whatsoever. It's a great point that you raised about Florida during the summer not being, obviously, the high tourist time uh, at a resort like this, I, the Cooper family has reunions in a state park in Mississippi in the summer. And I can tell you, it is really, really hot. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I lived in Florida when I was a kid. The only thing, the early bird special is about the only thing you get going in June. <laughs> uh, well, they probably have that at the Doral as well. Congressman Cohen, appreciate it. Thank you. I imagine they do. You're welcome, Anderson. Well, still to come, rarely seen White House press secretary surfaces and makes a guest appearance on The Ridiculous. Busy week, another busy Friday night. I want to check in with Chris, see what he was working on for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? All right, a little bit of a culmination and a reset. I believe that the CNN exclusive about Rudy Giuliani trying to get this visa really ends the discussion of what this situation was about and what it involved in terms of different methods and means by the president and those around him. So the argument becomes to the left, what are you going to do about it? What do you believe this rises to the level of and why? And the right, how can you ignore saying that this is wrong? You can argue all day about whether or not it's impeachable. I honestly see both sides of that argument. 
But you cannot ignore what happened. You cannot ignore that it was wrong and you cannot ignore that it was an abuse of office. So how is that done? We'll test both sides. And we've got Anthony Scaramucci for the mindset of where the right is. Certainly seems like there's a lot of Republicans who have figured out a way to just ignore it. Well, I mean, look, you got the Jim Jordans, right? But I believe that that's the irrational right, that they are with this president out of fealty. And I don't know that that will apply to the main because they have hmm. to worry about their personal dignity at some point, Anderson. Hmm. All right. We'll see. I'll I'm an optimist. Show. Uh, you sure are. Uh, nine <laughs> minutes from now. I'll see you then. Coming up next, the art form that is best appreciated by Gaslight, watching the White House try to get us to unsee what we all saw live in national tele- television. See for yourself on The Ridiculous. Time now for The Ridiculous. And tonight, we commend the bravery of White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham, who apparently got a brief furlough from West Wing Witness Protection. Grisham popped her head out this morning to check in with her supervisors over at Fox News, though it seems like she saw her shadow and now back underground for six more weeks of stonewalling. The rarely seen press secretary who, since taking that job over the summer, has actually yet to hold a formal news briefing, appeared on Fox and Friends. By the way, uh, I just want to point out, it's Fox and Friends. It's got an ampersand. It's not Fox and Friends, you know, like kibbles and bits or shake and bake. That's what I thought it was. So I checked. You can, you know, take that list, take that off your list of great unknowns. Grisham's appearance came less than 24 hours after acting chief of staff Mick Great Muppet Caper Mulvaney's news conference, which drew huge reviews, ranging from not helpful to a confession. Now, for her part, though, Grisham said that Mulvaney did everything a good accomplice should. He did a great job. He mentioned the same message over and over and over. And now the media, of course, is, you know, we, we put a statement out clarifying some of the things that the media got themselves in a tizzy over. Tizzy, tizzy. Damn, Grisham's a truth teller. I mean, you know what? Let the chips fall where they may. Stephanie don't care. Does everyone working for the president have to debase themselves and lie like he does? Apparently so. I thought John Grisham was a great storyteller, but I gotta say, Stephanie Grisham may have him beat. In the alternative universe version of what happened, Mulvaney stayed on message, did a great job, and the White House only had to clarify his statement because the media was in such a tizzy. Friggin' media. Always in a tizzy over silly little things like using the presidency for corrupt personal gain, using American taxpayer money to coerce a desperate leader of a country under attack by Russians to dig up dirt, damaging the President Trump's political opponents in the upcoming election. That's nothing. Stephanie had more criticism for the press today, though. It turns out what she said was actually something she's workshopped before on Fox and Ampersand Friends. I think as evidenced by yesterday with Mick, it was again more theater. It is about people wanting to be on TV and making names for themselves. Mm. It had become again theater and they weren't being good to his people. Oh, <laughs> Stephanie, you got to you got to increase your vocabulary of media criticism. Theater now has been used twice. Ms. Grisham clearly doesn't get to Broadway enough if she, you know, thinks those press conferences are theater. Maybe on one of these seven days a week, she's not doing her job. She can catch maybe a matinee of Hamilton. Just tell them Mike Pence sent you. Probably get free tickets. Also, hate to break it to her, but TV reporters are already on TV. So they don't need to try to get on TV because that's where they work on TV. It's tough to grasp, but it's actually how the entire TV medium works. I am on TV right now. Newspaper reporters, they're covering the White House, so they probably already made a name for themselves. You know what I mean? It's a position, 
it used to be kind of a, an exalted position of people wanted to, to be there covering it because important things happened uh, at the old White Houses. Holding the president and his staff to account, that's not theater. Theater is, I don't know, the president spending taxpayer dollars on a military parade for the purpose of fluffing his own ego. That would be theater. Theater is, you know, campaigning next to a pile of stakes that you claim your company sells, but in fact, someone on your staff bought them at a nearby butcher. Theater, I remember when that happened? I can't believe that actually happened. You know, those stakes used to be sold. Stole, uh, sh- those stakes used to be sold. It gets me so, I'm in a tizzy. Used to be sold at Sharper Image when he actually sold stakes. Theater is standing in front of a bunch of novelty-sized stacks of paper and telling the American people you're not going to have anything to do with your family business, which you then spend your presidency pushing money toward. Stephanie Grisham can say whatever she wants from her perch on Fox and Friends, but you know what? When she finally exits the stage, as all the president's people seem to do, whether they want to or not, let's see whether the president is in a tizzy or not when he delivers her review on The Ridiculous. What will he say? News continues. Want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Chris? 